All right, we're going to jump right in uh, and kind of move towards, over the next couple weeks, uh, landing our teaching series in the letter of Colossians. And so if you want to grab a Bible with me and open up to Colossians chapter 3, we're just going to keep moseying on. And uh, happy Father's Day to all the fathers and dads. We also know that, that there's a tension, just like on Mother's Day of this day, um, where there can, this can be painful for some of us in the room and just even our own sometimes relationships with our fathers, those wanting to be fathers. And we think of um, everybody on that spectrum this morning, especially in a community uh, as we practice together, practice the way of Jesus. With that said, um, you know, we are wading through Paul's teachings here in Colossians. And uh, here we are at a very integral, interesting part in the letter where Paul basically instructs households. He moves from the Jewish stuff of, hey, you don't have to fo follow kosher laws. No longer is this kind of that part of the law, works of the law, hanging over your head. You're free. But there's also this kind of movement now towards some very practical instruction for the church community. And so just like informative places in his other letter, Paul instructs the community here, and he talks about what we do in our homes. Now, why would Paul do that? Look, seriously, maybe a question to throw out on a very small crowd on, <laughs> on Father's Day. Why would Paul talk in the midst of everything else that's going on in his letters about household stuff? Because it's, a, it's not rocket science. We don't can disconnect the gospel and the work of the church from the most integral part of what we do, which is our households. And so this isn't like a jerky pastor talk, but the reality is, especially in our moments, with less and less emphasis on the importance of gathering as the church together, we do need to take seriously Paul's instruction for what we do with the majority of our time. So that's why in the fall, we took tons of time. We did a, a teaching series called Domestic Monastery, and we took time just to unpack the reality of our homes and what it means. And Paul doesn't disconnect this in his letters from all the other stuff, how we worship, making sure we're not caught under like religious holidays and, and Jewish kosher laws. This to him is all connected together. And so there is a countercultural way in which we are called to live within the home community. So verse 18, ready? Says this, wives, <laughs> submit yourselves to your husbands as it's fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. He doesn't stop there. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you, but to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be, paid, will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. 
So amongst everything else, a central part, a helpful part within this letter is how we live this out in our kind of in our home and households. Um, I know we live in a moment where when you hear probably wives submit to your husbands, that probably does something in you. And as you know, and we have touched this a ton over the last five or six years, there are some misreadings around Paul's writings when it comes to this. Especially, there's actually this week even a massive denomination in the U.S. that has really um, taken their position against women and leadership in the church. And you know, if you've been a part of the community here, that we are very egalitarian in our approach. We read this in a particular context. And just let me remind you that the context is this. Does Paul ask the church community and the wives within that community to submit to their husbands? Is that uh, this is a question we need to wrestle through? And the answer to that is, yeah. But within that context, does Paul ask everybody to submit to everybody? The answer to that is, you're a little slower there. The answer to that on Father's Day is, heck yes, the problem is, especially in Ephesians 4, and we've looked at this in depth, but if you go, Paul basically says very similar things to the church in Ephesus, if you just flip over to Ephesians 4, and in there, there's a break in our Bible that isn't normally there in the original language, and it says, it starts at, I think verse 21, wives submit to your husbands, right? What people often don't read is the verse before that, where there is no break in the original writing, where Paul says, hey, everybody, submit to everybody. And the way that Paul sees this unfolding is wives submit to your husbands. And again, here in the text, in Colossians, husbands love your wives. In Ephesians, it's love your wives like the church. And so if we want to talk about headship and submission, we live in a context this should not, it's, it's fascinating to me that we would even have to preface it like this. Everybody is loving and serving everybody for the greater common good. Anybody out there? This is actually the context of the letter. Um, and this is the context of Paul's writing in Ephesians. That this stuff is here, but it's a continual call. The word uh, submit is upotasso. It's this compound word, which literally means to lay yourself under somebody, to put yourself under somebody. And I would say if Jesus is actually the marker in Paul's writing for males within the home, because I think we still lean into this like oppositeness, that call for all of us is to lay ourselves down. And then for the, for the men, actually, Paul would, his default was often to push towards men look like Jesus. And so the problem we get when we talk about household stuff is most of us in this room are shaped, even with a view of manness, even within the church. Like, if you flip through the one-minute Instagram stuff, you'll even see this, that there's a portrayal of manhood that is often disconnected from Jesus, and Paul is like, yo, no, no, no. If you want to know what headship is like, it's, the word is kephale, right? This idea of like, there is a submitting piece in this, and it is a loving to the very end like Jesus. If you want to know what being, there was a conference at one point that was like, be a man or be like a man, right? If you want to know what it is to be a man, if you're a man, it is to be like the man, and I would encourage you to pick up the Gospels, even this afternoon, and read them through, and then come back with your conclusion. 
right? So we get all like, I know we're egalitarian and we're kind of in this moment that's progressed and, you know, the, the feminist movement and, and idea that we kind of live in culturally and we read this and we go, oh my goodness, like Paul is so out of touch. Do you understand how countercultural this was in that moment for Paul not just to say wives submit to your husbands, but the depth of everybody submitting to one another is like, it's not mind boggling for us and I'm here to try and make your mind boggle a little at what Paul is doing in the first century. You out there? You with me? And so we could spend all day on why we take an egalitarian position. I do believe there's context to some of the prohibitions. But at any rate, wives submit to your husbands. We should read that and go, yes, and husbands, love your wives like the Christ of the church. Don't be harsh with them, Paul says. Then the children are not off the hook. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. And so obedience within the household, again, we read that in such a individualistic kind of, I'm gonna make my own way kind of posture. This is actually a beautiful command for all of us, because all of us at some point are children, and a lot of us in this room are parents. The flourishing of obedience and righteousness within the home is actually a beautiful thing. Uh, you'll notice my daughter made me a shirt today for Father's Day chirping me um, because this is what I say when I get irritated and agitated with my kids. I say, your life is like freaking Disney World, kids. You know, when I grew up, you know, walking up the hill both ways in snow, right? And so this is like the, the clap back this morning is like this is what dad says when he's the cranky old man. Um, 21, fathers, don't embitter your children or they will be discouraged, right? Paul, this is not rocket science. The human condition leads us at times to wound each other deeply. And, you know, seeing more and more, even as a dad, how this unfolds, yes, we make mistakes and yes, there can be wounds uh, drawn from what we do. And yet, Paul leans into the reality that even as we live this out in the church community and within our homes, we are called to cultivate spaces of life and beauty. That we, uh, I think of dads here in particular, are not to dis discourage our kids, but to actually lead them in the way of Jesus. That there's this ebb and flow, this in the relationship infusion. Uh, this relationship between children and their parents and fathers not embittering their children as they lead them within the home. This is beautiful. I, I know we're in a moment where when we talk about some of these things, it's like we've conditioned ourselves and culture to be like, oh my gosh, what is, what's going on here? It's so archaic. It's so old. Paul was ahead of his time in the moment leading us. And I would just encourage us that, again, this is not disconnected from everything else we've read in the letter the supremacy of Jesus, Jesus being the center. What does Jesus being the center look like? It outflows in our homes, in our environments, and how we treat and lay our lives down for one another. You out there? Verse 22. So Paul's not done. Interestingly, he talks to wives, to husbands, to children, and then it gets maybe a little interesting for us, especially in our moment. Verse 22. Slaves Obey your earthly masters in everything you do and do it not only with their eye on you and to curry their favor, but listen to what Paul says, but with sincerity of heart and reverence to the Lord. Now, we read slavery 
in our moment and the lights start uh, flashing on our dashboard, right? Our, Our mental dashboard, our emotional dashboard. Maybe the sirens are going, it's just very, just very good right now that this is coming in. Your, your internal sirens are going off when you hear Paul's instruction for slavery and he's not like doing this thing of calling to abolish it. And so for some of us, we just are like, what the, I mean, come on, man. We are in a moment where we see, have seen and understand the evils of this stuff. The New Testament does, does mention slavery, but I think it's important for us to understand the context in which it was discussed. Um, there is no doubt that slavery was a common institution in the ancient world and a common institution during the time of Paul in the New Testament, in this church that was being written to. And the New Testament does not explicitly condemn or endorse slavery as an institution. This is actually not what Paul is doing. But it does contain teachings, like right here, that have implications on how Christians should treat one another, including their slaves. Like in several passages, not just this one, but in Ephesians as well, and there's a couple other places, the New Testament addresses the relationship between slaves and their masters. Um, In this context here in Colossians, you'll see that slaves are urged to obey their masters in everything and to work as if they're working for the Lord. And again, for some of us, that just, that doesn't sit well. In its context, though, these passages can be seen as advising slaves on how to navigate their circumstances rather than condoning or endorsing slavery. This is not what Paul is doing. It's also worth noting that in the New Testament, it contains principles that challenge the institution of slavery throughout it. And one of the central teachings of Christianity is the inherent worth and equality of all people. We know this. Paul even says in the letter that we're reading here, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus. That the radical, subversive way of Paul's teaching in the New Testament with all of the geopolitical stuff going on is that Paul levels the playing ground and understands that the gospel lays the pre- uh, levels, the prevalent, uh, levels the playing ground and says we are all invited in to become part of this new humanity. Radical, subversive. You don't feel it because we talk about inclusion a lot. In this moment, this is drop the mic stuff, especially in the face of Caesar and the empire because there was an economy around slavery in the first century and there was money involved and there was a particular way of life that was shaped in the empire around this. And it is important to interpret these passages in light of the historical and contextual context of the time because slavery in the ancient world was vastly different from most of what we go towards, uh, you know, the transatlantic slave trade and the forms of slavery that often, uh, that did emerge many centuries later. And so, you hanging in there? The New Testament was written in a particular context. Now, that's not to say this was good, not saying that at all, but I know some of us, when we read this, you're just like, man, the husband and wife stuff, aren't we kind of past this? And then you get to this and you're like, what the, again, you know, my lit teacher or whatever, uh, my lit professor at university said the Bible is full of all sorts of crazy stuff, and here it is. 
Yeah, you rev that, baby. That's good. Father's Day 2023. Um, it can be helpful for us to grab a hold of the context. You know, the difference is, is that slavery in the New Testament existed in all sorts of various forms in the ancient world. And the institution, again, was deeply ingrained in social and economic structures. It, the main thing with what Paul is seeing happen in the dynamic of master and slave within the first century is it was not unique to any particular region or culture. And as we know with the Atlantic slave trade, slavery was based on race for the majority. And that was not the context of the ancient world. Now, again, people often got, we don't have time for all of this, people often got kind of caught in this because of debt and what they would owe to other people. And there is a sense, obviously, of freedom that the gospel brings, yes. So that impulse to go, what is going on here is actually a good thing. But Paul knew in his writings, this is where it's subversive, Paul knew in his writings here that he wasn't just with the stroke of the pen going to eliminate hundreds and hundreds of years of this stuff, which is, I'm going to write a letter to Colossians and everybody's going to stop doing it. You know, we're going to just abolish all this. He knew that he couldn't do that in that moment all in one broad brush letter. And I think it says something to us in Paul's posture. We know now and we, we want to express freedom from one person maybe feeling ownership over another, whatever that looks like. We, we move towards freedom, but I like how N.T. Wright puts it. He says, even if all Christians of Paul's day were suddenly to release their slaves at the moment, it is by no means clear that the slaves themselves or, so, or society in general would benefit because a large body of people would be suddenly employed in the ancient world and may not enjoy their freedom as much as they would imagine. There's just a way to say there's complexity in this, right? And T. Wright would say this, Paul's method is actually subtler, sub subtler. Um, like Jesus, his way of changing the world is to plant a grain of mustard seed, which inconspicuous at first grows into a spreading tree and in the meantime, he teaches slaves and masters to treat themselves and each other as human beings. That this was the upside down moment. You don't feel it. I'm trying to make you feel it this morning. The husband and wife stuff, subversive, it should blow your mind. The children stuff, children often known as property. If you knew, if we could just take time to look at in the first century, how certain segments of children were treated, you would you'd in many ways be appalled. There would be something within you that would just, you hear what Paul's saying? Love each other, serve each other, honor each other, obey each other, give your lives for each other. And even in the context of master and slave, yes, we've moved to a place where we're, we're working to eliminate that around the world, ownership of one, one, over one another. But in this context, Paul is planting a seed and says the gospel is better. And even in this system that isn't great, when you honor one another, that is a picture of the gospel. And so it kind of pushes against our quick wokeness, kind of like we're just going to like eliminate everything and we want to move towards that. Yes, absolutely. But there's actually, actually a context here in which Paul says we're going to plant the seed here 
that you love and serve one another and the world's gonna look in on that and go, what, wait, wait. this is way different than the way anybody else would be treated. And by the way, there are some historians that point to the reality of how the Jesus movement, many of those people would treat people working for them in ways that would open up the eyes to the greater culture around them where people were treated poorly and treated according to their class. So again, maybe the jerk reaction in us to go, oh my goodness, I can't believe like Paul would not just condone this and just like try and rid the world of this. That's not as much his goal um, as it is getting the church to live differently, getting the Christian community to live differently. And this segment was a big part of the home in the first century. How we doing? (laughs) Aren't you glad you came to church on Father's Day? Isn't it just great? It's so uplifting. This is what I love about the Bible. By the way, this is what I love too about expositional teaching and preaching is like you can't like just kind of, you know, do the, the juke around kind of some of the difficult stuff. But I also sense, and I know there's a bunch of people away this morning, but like a lot of us face like, hey, the Bible is this. The Bible's mis- misogynistic. The Bible promotes this. The Bible promotes violence. And, and we go, uh, we're removed from this. Let's have a little bit of humility here and understand what's, what's at play. You with me you out there? Um, I am thankful for the day we're in and moving towards, and yet there's still in different areas ownership of people over others, and we know that that happens. And we work towards in every way Um, you know, working towards the removal of that. But I'm thankful for what Paul puts in place here and says the church is actually going to live different than the culture. Now, he ends by saying this. Again, just just how upside down this is. The instruction to each of the kind of the groups, verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Now, this is connected, again, to Paul's instruction for people who are servants of their masters within the church community. Work hard. You know, that's not just a, I know sometimes we use that as like a general command, but in the context, that is who it's to. I love how Paul is always pushing to future hope. We work hard because we receive an inheritance from the Lord. And it's not that we just look to the age to come and say everything's gonna be made new, though that is the truth. We wanna work in the moment. There is always this hope hanging in the balance that even the geopolitical stuff that's going on in the first century will be corrected. And everything we see around us in our moment, like even this morning here, the, as we look out the windows on our city and everything we see that divides us that there will be a day when Jesus renews all things. There will be a day when heaven and earth come back together. There will be a day when the servants, in this context, as, as Paul is writing, there will be a day when Jesus sets us free. We are saved, we are being saved, but there will be a day when salvation is going to come. And so Paul's instruction to this community is to work hard to these servants. And so we just have to grapple with brothers and sisters amongst all of this, is this important, right? We talk about our initial impulse when we read this stuff. 
I think Paul is onto something when he talks to households. And again, um, is the church formative? Yes. Uh, do, is what we do in this room and when we gather together and in homes together, is it formative? Of, of course it is. But it's really only as formative as much as we let it be, you know? We all have our own autonomy. We're not, there's nobody forced to be here, and that's actually a really beautiful thing. There's nobody forced to be in community. And so we live, in, you know, kind of in light of that, that this, you know, the, the gathering of the church is formative, but we have to continue to put before ourselves what is the best way for our homes? And as, as much as the impulse for a lot of people wants to be, well, this is kind of uh, old-fashioned and archaic and come on, haven't we evolved? We point and go, this is actually the call to submit and to love each other, even in the context here of people who would work in this context in the church, work under me, to love and to care and to treat each other as human. This is what we lean into. And this is the wisdom that we hold on to as we look into this letter. This is important for us. So again, husband, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't embitter your children. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. And as we come to the tables here, I hope it is uh, a reminder to us as well of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus, and this is why it connects and is applicable, Jesus is creating a family, the family of God, that would put this type of upotasso on display to the world. This is hopefully what will set us apart is a laying down of our lives, is a, a submitting and loving like Jesus would love. And so as we walk the aisle this morning, as we walk down this aisle to the prepackaged, yes, it's prepackaged, bread and cup, it's a reminder, life has been extended to us, and that's why instruction like this is not disconnected. We love one another because Jesus, I think, you know, I read a book somewhere where it says, you know, we love each other because Christ has loved us, right? That God has extended his love and his grace to us, and now we live in light of loving others. And so the family of God in community, but for our own homes and how we practice this is so important. So come Holy Spirit, I pray. In our, in our worship, as we take time here to come and walk down uh, to the bread and the cup here as it's a reminder to us even on a, a day like Father's Day of you being a good father you loving us help us take hold of this God for some of us in the moment and just the stirring and the wrestling in our hearts maybe we've just fallen prey to just how this is old school or out there I pray that we would re-engage this as we, you shape our minds and our hearts as we come around this, that you would help us. Thank you for where we're at in this moment and there's different challenges in this moment in this time for us, maybe than a couple millennia ago. But help us, I pray, as we worship, 
mold us, shape us, do something. You know, we, we come around the scriptures, but do something within us here in the next couple minutes as we respond to you, not to somebody or somebody around us, but respond to you and your invitation. May you do this work within us. Thank you for this family. Thank you for every household that's represented in this room. And I just pray, God, that you would help us live this. Help us to be love and light. Help us to submit. Help us to love. Help us to live into what you put on display, Jesus. This is what it means to follow you. Jesus' name. Jesus' name.